as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Impala Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Board is Hell podcast. I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot. And I am Andy Wilson, aka Citizen Bot from Big Shiny Robot. Uh, and we are here to talk about the newest movies this week. Uh, depending on your point of view, it was either a great week for movies or it was a crappy one. Uh, and I think Andy and I both have various... Uh, we'll end up on opposite sides of a couple movies, but we'll see how it turns out. We're going to uh, get in a fight. We're going to get in a fight. Yep. Don't worry, we'll, we'll cuddle and make up afterwards. Yep. Um, but the first movie we're going to talk about is The Gallows. Uh, it's a horror movie, found footage film by uh, Blumhouse Productions. Uh, you may not have heard of them, but you've certainly seen their movies. They've done all like, the Ouija movies, The Purge, uh, Paranormal Activity, so they're, they're definitely well-known for that genre of low-budget, uh, crappy-slash-maybe-good horror movies, <laughs> depending on your point of view. Uh, but The Gallows follows a couple teenagers, Reese, Pfeiffer, and Ryan. Uh, they all go to this high school where, uh, back in 1993, 20 years ago, so the movies probably sat on the shelf for a couple years, uh, the high school put on a production of a play called The Gallows. And in the very last scene, uh, one of the actors, this young kid named Charlie, is accidentally hung and dies. So 20 years later, the high school is putting the play on again, and Reese is the, the jock who got talked into you know, doing this play. Uh, but he, his friends Pfeiffer and Ryan, and Cassidy, uh, well, not Pfeiffer, excuse me, Reese, Ryan, and Cassidy one night decide to sneak into the theater and as a prank, mess up the stage. Uh, by doing that, of course, things go awry because the ghost of Charlie is still very much present in the school and begins to hunt them down, torture, and kill them. Uh, that's pretty much the story in a wrap. Uh, there's a couple cool twists towards the end that uh, I thought were pretty cool. But I know, uh, Andy, you did not like this movie. Yeah, like I have a problem with found footage movies in general. If you're going to be a found footage movie, I feel like you have to earn it in a sense. And you've got to find a way to get around some of the inherent problems of it. Otherwise, it just feels like a bad ripoff of Blair Witch. And, you know, when Blair Witch came out, it was interesting. uh, It was new. And you could kind of forgive it for some of its problems, which looking back now, that movie hasn't aged well. And why people... 15 years later are still aping it. I don't really understand when we've moved so much further beyond this. I would much rather have actually seen this movie told from a normal point of view um, as, you know, with normal camera shooting, you could have gotten around a lot of the, the problems. And I think still made a very compelling, interesting movie. Uh, Mostly, I was I was both annoyed and bored by this movie most of the time. It took forever for it to get going. The entire first hour, I was really bored. Um, the ending, man, that last 20 minutes, I really enjoyed the heck out of it. And I wish that they hadn't waited that long to really figure out what they were doing and, and do it. Now, I understand they had to build up towards a climax, but they needed to find a way to sprinkle some more of the scary in this movie up until then, because otherwise it just spent the whole time getting really annoyed at all of these characters. Um, I, so when 
the first two people died, I was just like, good. I hated those kids. <laughs> good, good job. Uh, the the one thing that I did like about this movie is it taking place inside of a high school theater auditorium. Yeah. As man, as someone who did theater in high school, there was no place scarier to me than the rafters of my high school theater. Uh, I am horribly afraid of heights. And on top of that, it is just a creepy, incredibly dark place. And they really use that to their advantage in, in some of this. Um, But despite all of that, I just, I, I couldn't get over it. And I was like, meh about most of this. So I ended up at, at three out of 10. Yeah. And, and again, I'm on the opposite spectrum. Uh, you brought up Blair Witch, which of course everyone knows is like the, the granddaddy of, of found footage films. And I remember seeing that in opening night. And that was back when it was, the internet was still somewhat brand new. We all had dial up. And so for the first week or so, we all thought it was real. I, they, they did really good marketing with that. Uh, it wasn't until I think like, the MTV movie awards when they, you know, by then we kind of figured it out. But when you're sitting in that theater and you're, you know, as a young kid thinking this is like actual footage, which looking back, it's stupid. I would think that, but I was 17. <laughs> uh, scared the hell out of me. I, I will not go camping to this day because of that stupid movie. So even though it doesn't hold up, uh, it's definitely, I, I think it set a, a mark for that kind of horror yeah. that many people have tried to imitate and few have actually succeeded at. Uh, I do think, though, this does succeed as a good, scary movie. Because, yeah, found footage movies are a dime a dozen. Hollywood loves them because it costs 25 cents to make. They probably paid the kids more in bubblegum than they did in actually filming the movie. Uh, and everyone goes to see it, and they make their money back in the first weekend. Uh, they're also normally pretty crappy. And like We've talked about it before in my reviews. I really do hate found footage films. Uh, but this one made sense. I mean, they're using a the camera. They're using the night vision on their phones. There's a reason for them to actually be filming it the way it is. And what's really cool, I thought was kind of a cool touch, was, you know, when they're standing around talking, the camera's pointed down at their shoes. because, Or if they're running from the ghost or whatever, they're running and it's running with them. They're not, like, holding it up and looking around like other movies do, because that makes absolutely no damn sense. Now, when you turn around filming the ghost while it's chasing you, you know, you're running your ass off uh, with, you know, and you're pumping your arms. Uh, Also... At first, I thought they were really going to go the paranormal activity route. Uh, there's a scene when one of the kids goes to a locker to you know, get back in a nerd, and the locker above him kind of opens up by itself and slams shut with it. And I was like, oh, crap, they're doing that, because that's not really scary. That's just wires and your imagination. I, I did like that they actually had a real ghost, and the, the ghost of Charlie is this, you know, in a hangman's mask and uh, creepy as hell, and genuinely yeah. scary. There was... There was moments where I felt genuine fear in that movie, and that's hard for a lot of horror movies to come across to me. So, yes, I do agree with you that there was a slow buildup, and I think they could have maybe started the tension a bit earlier. But, like you said, I did theater myself, and the backstage of a theater is creepy as hell, and it was a perfect uh, perfect setting for this type of movie. I, I love the ending, the cool twist at the end. What I wish they would not have done, though, is the last two minutes with the cops, which I won't say anymore. Yeah. I would hope that most audiences are smart enough to figure out what actually happened, because when that that scene like faded to black, I thought the movie was over, and I was like, holy crap, that is awesome. They actually have the balls to do that. And then they kind of had to explain it, which they, they didn't need. 
but I, I really liked it. I, I know I'm in the minority looking at other people who have seen it. Uh, I liked it 7.5. Wow. Yeah, so I completely agree with the cops, especially, you know, the, the conversation we've had in the last six months about body cameras on cops and how completely not prevalent they are. And then we just happen to ha- find the only two cops in small town Nebraska who happen <laughs> to have body cameras on them to uh, when they go in and check on this house. And uh, yeah, that was anyway. Yeah, I, so, that, unnecessary ending, but the, the scene before that was, in my opinion, one of the best endings to a horror movie I've seen in a while. That scene before that, because I had a thought halfway through the movie I was like, huh, wouldn't it be interesting if, and then, and then they did that. And I was very pleased with that. I, I wish that there had been more to it than that really great twist and yeah. that, that great finale. Um, so, yeah. But I, here's the real tragedy of the gallows is it's coming out in July. Of all times, yes. Yeah, it's, it's the worst month you can put it out, and against bigger movies, too, like Minions. Yeah, and if, you're, if you've had a movie that sat on the shelf for two years, why are you putting it out in like within a month of the release of Jurassic World? I really don't understand that, uh, especially when this, this movie could have done well in September or October. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a Halloween movie, and the the release date does surprise me. Unless the studio is just, hey, we made this thing for five dollars. You know, if we make twenty five dollars, we made five times our budget. Which yeah. I, I'm sure I haven't looked at the box office, but I'm sure they already have. Uh, but if you think about it, they kind of did the same thing with Cabin in the Woods. Uh, they they brought it out a week before the first Avengers, so it was kind of cool to see Joss Whedon having two films in the top ten, but also kind of a confusing time to release a movie that doesn't really kind of match the. The, like the summer tentpole or the the big splashy movies that generally come out this year. Let's so. be let's be clear though. Cabin in the Woods was an awesome movie. Oh yeah. Like, uh, I if the the real tragedy of that is that people were going to see the if anything people were going to see the wrong Joss Whedon movie. As much as I love the Avengers, I, I and I love the Avengers more than I love Cabin in the Woods, but Cabin in the Woods was awesome. Oh yeah, Cabin in the Woods. Uh, I'd say it's it's definitely my top five horror movies. It's kind of hard to pick your number one because there's so many classics, and that's a discussion we can get into for hours, so we won't go there. Uh, but I loved what that did as far as turning the whole genre on its ear and kind of making making you rethink everything you've ever seen in a whole Yeah. Movie, so uh, the Gallows, uh, they're projecting it to make ten million dollars. So yeah, and I think it, I think it costs a million or two. So if that, yeah. So, all right, well, enough enough for the gallows. I think we've, we've beat that horse to death. Uh, the next film, uh, now, Andy, you did not see Selfless, correct? No, I did not. Okay, well, you're not missing much. Uh, <laughs> Selfless, uh, well, let me, let me explain what it's about before I kind of dive into it. So uh, Selfless starts out with Damien Hale, who is played by Ben Kingsley for all of two minutes in this movie. Uh, he's a billionaire, lives in New York. He's very influential, very wealthy. Uh, he's also dying of cancer. It's spreading to his liver, his lungs, his body. Uh, he's got you know, maybe maybe six months to live. So he's kind of trying to put his life in order and really dwelling on mortality and you know and life in general. Well, he gets this card that says, "Go check out this uh, this doctor, Doctor Albright, who is played by Matthew Good, who 
has this thing called neurological shedding. And what that means is for like $500 million, uh, very influential and rich people uh, will have a body cloned or slash grown for them, like a test tube body, uh, and then their consciousness will be transferred from the old dying body to the new one, letting them live up uh, a brand new life you know, in their 30s, 40s, and have more time to innovate, have leisure time, whatever they want to do. So of course, he takes them up on it, and he is reborn in this brand new body uh, by a man named Edward, who's played by Ryan Reynolds. So he moves to New Orleans, makes friends, meets women, starts going crazy, having the fun, fun single life. But he keeps having these flashbacks, and he keeps on seeing this uh, water tower, something about Iraq or Afghanistan, and it's it's actually really weird. So he goes to the doctor who gives him these pills to take that'll help him kind of readjust to his new body. Well, one day he skips his dose and has a crazy vision and tries to figure out what's going on and begins to learn that this body he's inhabiting, inhabiting maybe wasn't grown for him. It might have been someone else who they killed and gave to him. So he goes out in pursuit of what actually happened, what's going on, uh, comes across this person's family, his wife, his kid, uh, magically learns military moves and uh, karate skills and fighting and weird stuff. And basically he's trying to keep his old wife and daughter out of harm's way and gets them to safety while he tries to figure out exactly what's the bottom of all this, this conspiracy he got involved in. So that synopsis is actually smarter than the movie. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the joke I've been making is it's like if Total Recall and the Born Identity had a kid, and the kid's IQ was smaller than its shoe size. Um, you know, we, we've talked before about big, dumb, fun movies, and you know we love those. I mean, we, Furious 7, Jurassic Park, uh, Terminator. You can have a movie that's big and stupid and be fun and entertaining. This movie is not dumb. It's brain dead. It's, it's boring. It's so predictable. Within the first five minutes, I had predicted the entire plot, and I'm not, not that I'm that great at that kind of thing, but it's that easy to see. Uh, I was it was so bad. I was saying lines along with my friend Brooks, who was sitting next to me, uh, before the actor said them. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, it was that bad. And almost the worst thing about it is, the movie thinks it's really smart. Like it has this thing where it's like, oh, I got you. You're like no, no, you didn't. We saw this coming an hour ago. This isn't cute. This isn't funny. Uh, I yeah, they're just it's. It's just so predictable, it's boring, it doesn't know what it wants to be, it goes from being like a sci-fi thriller to a drama to an action film to a chick flick. Uh, Brooke, who was on our uh, show last episode, she saw it with me, and at the end she's like, yeah, they turned into a chick flick, I don't know how they did that, it was you know, something out of a Nicholas Sparks novel, and it, oh, it's just like a complete mess. Ryan Reynolds, I love you, man, you know, I'm glad you're finally over your Van Wilder days, and I'm really excited for what you're going to do with Deadpool, and we'll talk about that with the trailer we saw at Comic-Con. I don't understand why you're in this movie, though. I mean, are they trying to recast you as this action hero? I mean, are they trying to pull, like, a... <clears throat> I don't know. It's This movie's a complete mess. I don't know anyone who would enjoy it or why you'd want to go see it. Uh, there's so many better movies out there. Uh, three out of ten. Just do stay away. Don't go see this. Go see Mad Max. Go see Jurassic Park. Go see anything you haven't seen except for this movie. This sounds like pretty par for the course for this director, Tarsim Singh, like yeah. every single movie of his who I've seen, I'm just like, huh. Okay. Yeah, there's. He, he hasn't, yeah, he hasn't, and what's also worse for this movie is the his uh, 
Ryan Reynolds, like his the family of his previous life, this has this little girl who's like five or six. And I really hate when movies create a false sense of danger by involving a child for no other yes. good reason than there's guns going off and the child might get hurt and protect the child. You know, I guess you could say the movie wrestles with what makes a person a good human or a good man or a good woman. And because the character, you know, Edward Ryan Reynolds, doesn't have to go save these people. In fact, had he never even investigated what was going on, they would have been just fine and happy. So his whole interference in their lives and the whole almost plot in the movie doesn't matter if he would have just ignored everything and lived his life. So it's I, it's an exercise in futility. Well, there we go. So don't go see Selfless. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I'm not going to. I, <laughs> I, I've i learned to trust your your instincts on most things. Like uh, this week, in I, I finally saw me, Earl, and the Dying Girl, and you were – you were absolutely correct about that movie. So um, unfortunately a movie that you are not correct about is minions. Okay. You weren't correct about the gallows. So yeah, so that's okay. Um, Minions is the prequel to the despicable me movies, uh, which were much better. (laughs) uh, And uh, explains the origin of the minions. Essentially they have existed from, uh, the time of the dawn of life where they existed even as single-celled organisms, trying to find the biggest and baddest paramecium that uh, was out there to be its toady and serve it and essentially have it protect them. And when they find the next biggest and baddest thing, then they go and serve that. So the film opens with a long montage of them going from master to master and that includes them serving a Tyrannosaurus Rex uh, and uh, a caveman. And uh, eventually they end up with Napoleon. And after causing the downfall of the invasion of Russia, uh, they go into exile because they, they're having a problem serving their masters. After a hundred years of isolation, they're bored, they're listless. And so one of the much minions, like the movie <laughs> one of the minions kevin decides to go on a worldwide trek to find their new villain who they need to serve and he recruits two other minions bob and stuart and they go off on this trek which includes a trip to uh villain con in orlando florida and there were some San Diego Comic-Con jokes thrown in there just for the nerds like us. Uh, (laughs) You notice that everything big was happening in Hall H. Yes. Uh, So, uh, but then at Villain Con, they meet Scarlet and Herb Overkill, played by Sandra Bullock and John Hamm. Boo! (laughs) On that point, I actually agree with you. Uh, And... And, uh, I'm sorry. I just yeah. No, no, no. That's it's it's in this case <laughs> very warranted, um, and and we'll get to that. And they have plans to take over England, and the minions start working with them to do that. Hijinks ensue, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The biggest problem with this movie is that plot just weighs down the movie, and Scarlet is not an engaging character. I love Sandra Bullock. She is not good here. John Hamm is boring here. And I love John Hamm. So oh, me too. 
this was this was very hard for me to really not enjoy them in a movie. And this movie worked a lot better for me as a skier, as a series of loosely connected skits and gags. And in that sense, I thought it was really, really, really funny. Uh, there are lavish musical numbers of the minions doing make them laugh from singing in the rain. Uh, it shows them being bored and trying to play soccer. And they're just, it's like the laziest soccer game ever. Uh, they recreate a scene from hair. There, Which was the best moment in the movie. I will give you that. So That was the best moment in the movie. There's a lot of really funny stuff. That's just tiny little gags. And the movie would have, that's, that's all this movie is. I loved those gags so much that if I just completely forgot about the plot and watched this movie like a little kid, I enjoyed it. But um, I completely agree with you that it, it collapses under the weight of that, of that plot and those main characters and that it can get kind of boring. Um, and uh, I'll preface this with that. I love the Minions. I have a Minions lunchbox. Every time I go to Smith's up here, which is the grocery store, and I see the little claw machine, if there's a Minion in there, I will put five bucks in trying to win the damn thing. Uh, I love the Stickable Me movies. I'm a huge Minion fan. So I was really excited for this. Uh, but it's... Oh my god, it's so boring. Uh, like you mentioned, the plot... The plot doesn't need to be there. You know, we, we're, we're there to see the Minions... Uh, unfortunately, what makes the minions cute and funny wears really grating and thin after about a half hour of straight minion talk. Uh, you know, that's they're, they get overused, and I think that's why they're better in Despicable Me uh, or in the shorts they've done is because you only get them for that, you know, two minutes here, three minutes there, five minutes at once, um, where you can enjoy them and then, boom, you move on to something else. So it's... There would just maybe... Two, I know it's a minion movie, but there was too much minion in it. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. They, after a while, it just kind of it stopped being cute and just became annoying. Uh, but like you said, yeah, Sandra Bullock, sweetheart, I love you, but don't don't do voice acting. You're horrible. Uh, you can't do it. Same with John Hamm. I've loved you and all you've done, but no. Uh, Michael Keaton, you were somewhat fun with this, but yeah, it's oh. It's, it didn't work for me. I, I didn't find it funny at all. I think I laughed once or twice. Uh, the best thing I can say about it is if you love this music from the 60s, it's got a great soundtrack. That uh, is true. That's that's the only really enjoyable thing I had. Uh, a character from the Despicable Me movie shows up briefly as a cameo. Um, but it, it, even I couldn't save it. I just, the moment the credits rolled, I was out of that theater like a, a shot. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. So you didn't stick around for the, the credit sequence? I, I couldn't. I was like, nope, I can't do this anymore. I need to get out. <laughs> it's too bad you should have because that credit sequence was better than a lot of the movie. Um, so, I mean, minor spoiler. This is a prequel, so it it suffers from prequelitis. A, a prequelitis. And, you know, the major problem with prequels is they have to set you up for the the movie that you've already seen. And so of course at the end you, the minions are, are paired up with Gru and there you go. Uh, the, there's a montage during the credits of Gru and the minions causing mischief as with Gru as a kid. And it's, Oh, okay. I, I, I wish I would have seen that now. That was actually pretty fun. 
Um, yeah, you mentioned the soundtrack. It was it was great. They did a good job cementing this as a period piece, and uh, that was that was a lot of fun. The soundtrack really helped with that. The other thing, um, the main cast was not very good, but there were some members of the supporting cast that were an absolute blast. Jennifer Saunders uh, from French and Saunders, who you might know from Absolutely Fabulous and uh, other British comedy like that. She shows up as the Queen of England, and she basically tries to steal the movie out from underneath everyone else. I, I thought she was great. and um, But like you, I wish they would have given these parts to experienced voice actors. If, if Herb had been played by someone like a Billy West or uh, someone like that, and gee, I don't even know who you could get for Scarlet, but... Or yeah. even just giving us Despicable Me three, I yep. would have been happy with that. You know, it's uh, like I said, my issues more coming from the fact that uh, the the minions they were, just, they were overused. Like it's it's a one shot gag that was too prevalent, obviously. And you know, the theater I, I saw it this morning, and it was packed with kids, packed with kids and families. I was sitting next to a twelve year old and like an eight year old, and I, I didn't hear them laugh once. So I mean. I don't know if it was like your when you saw it, but yeah, people there didn't seem that entertained with it either. We saw it opening night, and I saw it with my ten-year-old and my seven-year-old, and they laughed a lot. I laughed a lot too, and there were there were a lot of people who were who were having a good time with this movie. Yeah, maybe it was just the parents were pissed they were up at ten thirty with their kids watching Minions. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I I don't know. The this is. Uh, you have exactly the opposite problem that I do with it. I couldn't get enough of of the minions, and I wanted them to keep moving from gag to gag to gag. I, I think it kind of played into my ADD, where I was happy to see them like, okay, they're going to do this one little funny thing, and then they're going to move on to another little funny thing, and they're going to move on to another little funny thing, and that worked for me. Uh, and And so if you're a really ADD kid... I, I think it'll work for you as well, but um, yeah. Otherwise, you might you might get bored at this. Yeah, and, and maybe if I would have found the the bits funny, that might have helped. But it just it, it wasn't clicking for me. Um, what is wrong with you? <clears throat> I don't know. You didn't like the gallows, so what's wrong with you? Uh, <laughs> you know, kids might like this, but we we've talked before about you can have an intelligent movie that both kids and adults can like, like Inside Out, for instance. Uh, this doesn't come anywhere near as close to that. Uh, so if you get dragged to it by your kids, maybe sneak a flask in or something. Who knows? You know, mommy's a little helper. Uh, I, I can't go any higher than a four with this one. Yeah, and I loved it, so I said seven and a half. Huh. Well, there we go. So we finally disagree on some movies. Yep. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, so really fast for kind of a recommendation. We, we, we obviously Minions is the biggest hit this week. I think what's the box office take on that now? A hundred and fifteen million, which actually that far exceeds what I would have thought. I, I, As much as I liked it, I don't think that it deserves that much money. <laughs> that's that's well, pretty crazy. It, it's finally something's going to beat Jurassic World and Inside Out. Yeah, and, and Universal's having a great year, so congratulations to them. Uh, but with Minions being a prequel, we wanted to talk about uh, prequels in general, why they work, why they don't work overall. They don't work. Uh, and maybe two of our personal favorite prequels. So, Andy, what... Go ahead and take over for this for a little bit. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I already talked about the problems with prequels, and 
the the thing that really brought this on was coming out of Comic Con. Uh, well, and actually, even before Comic Con, we had the announcement that they're going to do a Han Solo prequel for Star Wars. Now, I love Star Wars more than anything on this planet. That is my absolute favorite set of movies. I love Han Solo. He's a great character. Now, that being said, uh, the the Star Wars prequels, I like them. I have problems with them, I but I'm still okay with them. Oh, I actually watched The Phantom Menace earlier this week with... Ooh, you poor, poor man. Yeah, no, I, I like the prequels, but I don't love them. So, I, but there is a problem. Is is uh, that Brian Young behind you with a gun at your back? I, I no. Can't. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, he's not. And I, I'm one of those weird people who, like, I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other about the the prequels. I neither incredibly love them like Brian, nor am I in the George Lucas rape my childhood camp. Well, see, I, I walk- I, I'm not anywhere near either of those camps. I'm like, yeah, these movies were pretty good, but they weren't great. And see, I walked out of Attack of the Clones the first time I saw it, uh, swearing I would never watch a Star Wars movie ever again. And so. I, I walked out of Attack of the Clones and said, what did I just see? I want to see that again as soon as possible. Oh, so... Uh- <laughs> do you um, like sand or do you not like sand? <laughs> nah. Anyway, um, but prequels have this problem where they're going to try and and set everything up. And so I was having a discussion uh, with, with Brooke and with uh, Erica Shaw, her co-host, about prequels and... Erica was saying, I'm, I'm worried about this. And I said, I kind of agree. I, I want there to be some mystery behind this character. And what I don't want is a story of here's how Han Solo got the Millennium Falcon. And here's how he met Lando. And, and see, here's how he I met want. Chewie. I want that. I want to see that. How, how did he win uh, the Millennium Falcon from Lando? You know, I want to, you know, where was he ever on Kashyyyk? Was Chewie, at a different planet, and like he, I want that though. That's my thing. That's what I really want to see. See, and I think that's what makes a prequel really bad is when that is its only purpose is to explain the mystery behind the other thing. Boba Fett got eight hundred percent less interesting once we found out that he was a clone of another guy named Jango Fett, who was used to create uh, the clone troopers who became stormtroopers um that was that got much more interesting uh during the clone wars cartoon show and they developed like the young boba fett character but that ruined some of it for me because before that it was just it was it was really cool and it was very mysterious and i didn't have to know everything about it i want to know maybe a little but what i want out of a han solo prequel is a deepening of his character. And yeah, maybe maybe it is the story of how Han met Chewie. And uh, we learn something about the two of them and their bond. But I don't need to know, here's how Han Solo got his Corellian blood stripes. Or, you know, it, it, here's how Han Solo got his first vest. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm okay with that. Um, so when I think of a good prequel... There's actually movies that you watch that you don't know that they're prequels, uh, like um, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. That's the the third movie in the Man with No Name series. 
Um, I would like to see a good, the bad, and the ugly with Han Solo, Boba Fett, and Cad Bane. And it's a caper movie, it's a heist movie, and it deepens the relationship between the three of them. Uh, It's cool, but it stands on its own Mm -hmm. without having to necessarily explain everything. Sure, maybe maybe we get the Millennium Falcon in there, but maybe we don't. Um, uh, The Godfather Part 2, which is one of my absolute favorite movies. I've never seen it. That's okay. <laughs> although, although uh, of the movies that you should really see, you should see the Godfather movies. Adam. Uh, and I own, I've owned them on Blu-ray now for about three years. And every time, I, again, I'm a horrible film critic for never having seen them. But every time I go to watch one, I'm like, oh, it's a three-hour investment. <laughs> yeah, well, I had to be in the mood for it. Here's what you got to do: um, plan out a week's worth of really good Italian meals. <laughs> and then and then watch forty five minutes of of each of them every night for a week, and I promise you you will or at least the first two you don't have to bother with the third one um but but take them uh split them up and and you can be okay well and i I know the moment I put it in and start watching it, I'll be engrossed uh you know it's the same thing you know I'd say probably my favorite movie of all time is Seven Samurai, which is a four hour long movie i mean it you know the first time I watched it, it took you know, a couple tries to okay, I'm gonna do this, but then you get sucked in and you're you're there. So it's a matter of sitting my my butt down and doing it. <laughs> yeah. So, but but there are prequel elements in the Godfather Part Two where they go back in time to explain uh, who Marlon Brando's character was in the first one, Don Vito Corleone, and uh, it's played by uh, a young Robert De Niro playing mm-hmm. that part in in the past. And and that's a really cool thing where they're telling these side by side storylines. So that's what makes a prequel great. Uh, those two movies don't really count as like straight up prequels, though. So what what I want to talk about as a real prequel uh, that's my recommendation is X Men First Class. This was a movie. Which is excellent. Yes. This was a movie that I had incredibly low expectations for. And we had been really burned by a very bad prequel, um, X-Men Origins Wolverine. And uh, and the X-Men franchise oh. was – they were on this thing where they, they were going to do an Origins movie for everyone. Like Magneto was going to get an Origins movie. And everyone was going to get an Origins movie. And oh, on a, a side note of Magneto uh, – one of the greatest comics uh, you'll ever read uh, actually was the story of Magneto in the concentration camp. Testament, yeah, X Men Magneto Testament. Uh, it's just it's his story of being in the concentration camps with as without any powers, just how he survived. Uh, so if you get a chance, you know, sorry to interrupt, uh, go check it out. Oh. It's one of my favorite graphic novels of all time. Like there, there was definitely stuff to mine there, but you look at X Men Origins Wolverine and. They tried to put so much stuff in there and try and explain every little thing, and it just got dumb because of that. And instead of telling a really cool X-Men standalone uh, Origins movie, it just failed at that. So then we had really terrible marketing. Uh, I mean, Adam, you and I were, were joking, and the rest of the Big Shiny Robot people were joking about how Beast looked really rapey in all of those production <laughs> shots. Oh, yeah, he was... Ugh. So uh, that was... I had no expectations for these movies, 
And when I went in, I was blown away by how smart that script was, how taut it was, and how it didn't need to put the world back together in the same order that we found it in. It was very clear that they were like, no, this is kind of going to be our own thing, and we're going to create our own space, which then gave us the ability to, several years later, do Days of Future Past, where they bring everything together and meld all of the timelines. And basically gave a big middle finger to Brett Ratner. So. Uh, that is true. Uh, you know, and that was that was very good. <laughs> I'm glad that they did that, <laughs> and I'm glad that they that they retconned all of those terrible things out of of that franchise using time travel. But that that's what you do in a good prequel. You you go back to the essence of character and don't worry so much about well at the end of the movie we have to make sure that we have X Y and Z and that's and that's it. Yeah, and so. um yeah, X-Men First Class also brought in amazing actors who, you know, no one knew who Michael Fassbender really was before this movie, but we—he's gone on to be, show what a great job he can do. I mean, from being terrifying in Twelve Years a Slave to being a badass bounty hunter in Slow West, which just came out on Blu-ray. If you've not seen it, I highly recommend that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. You, obviously, the first thing you brought up was Star Wars because I, I don't think you can talk about prequels without talking about Star Wars because they're probably the most famous ones ever. Um, as far as the prequelitis, in the sense that we know the story that's going to happen. So with Star Wars, for instance, we know that eventually Luke Skywalker and Leia have to be born. So we know that Princess Amidala was a Padme was going to be safe until she had the babies. Uh, we knew Anakin Skywalker will become Darth Vader. You know, there's you know one, two, three has to happen. So four, five, six, or A, B, you know, however you want to put exactly. Them together. Uh, what would have been cool though is you could a smart filmmaker, <clears throat> George, I guess. Uh, could take a prequel and defy our expectations. So what I've always said would have been cool was um, what would have happened if uh, Anakin Skywalker at one point, or someone, the Emperor, whoever, fought and killed Obi-Wan, and the Ben Kenobi we know is really a clone. You know, that's why they called him Ben Kenobi instead of Obi-Wan, you know. And of course you can argue that it was he was in hiding... Uh, I don't think there are very many Kenobis out there, so he didn't do a very good job of it. But how cool would that have been to take us who are expecting that, yeah, there's going to be this big fight between Anakin and Obi-Wan, and Anakin loses and becomes Darth Vader, to where maybe he mortally wounded Obi-Wan, and before he died, he was able to pass his spirit presence on to a clone. So you still wouldn't have changed the final story. We would have known that, hey, Obi-Wan will eventually meet Luke. Um you know, die on the Death Star, everything else, but it took our expectations and twisted them so we didn't know what was coming. And I think that would have made a much more unique prequel because it kind of escapes the prequel-itis syndrome that it had uh, and showed us something that we weren't really expecting. Absolutely. That, that would have been an interesting take on it. There would have been a lot of other things. I think the biggest problem was they didn't need to start with these characters as little kids. There's no reason Anakin couldn't have started off as a 15-year-old instead of an 8-year-old. There's no reason Boba Fett had to be 9 years old instead of 16 or 17. You could have had them be little badasses already. And instead of being a pod racer... Um, you know, do something that's more like I, I'm 
more like the Fast and the Furious. I can't believe I'm saying that, but like underground street racing rather than NASCAR. You know, yeah. he could have done something something cool like that where he was kind of a criminal um, and and kind of scary, and that's how they had to that's how they had to escape. But yeah, and then one know. thing I'll I'll get to with Star Wars before I talk about my prequel. If you get a chance, check out the novelization of Revenge of the Sith. Uh, it's by Matthew Stover. Uh, you can pick it up used on Amazon for a, literally a penny. It'll cost him more to ship than it will to, to buy it. Uh, he does such an amazing job because books give us the perspective of what the character's thinking, while movies, of course, show us what the characters are doing. The battle in Anakin's head and the fear and the anger that overtakes him and turns him to the dark side, if Hayden Christensen had been any kind of an actor and could have portrayed this on screen, it would have been the one of the greatest movies of all time. Yep. Uh, and the, the scene where he becomes Darth Vader and, you know, the Emperor <clears throat> gives him, you know, says, go kill the younglings, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that scene was heartbreaking and heartrending. I, I cried when I read it. And then I went and saw the movie and, you know, he screwed it up. Uh, but if you get a chance to check it out, it's, if the movie would have followed the book more, which is kind of a weird thing to say because the book was based on the script, uh, it would have been probably the best Star Wars movie ever made. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that novelization is absolutely wonderful. Um, and instead of that internal dialogue or that internal monologue, all we got was, no! <laughs> and then we got it again in the Blu-rays. So, yeah. uh, uh, and now we've got it on the new Star Wars app where uh, you can hear, I'm going to, I'm going to see. Can I can I do this? Can I pull this up? Uh, there we go. No! <laughs> so terrible. That's almost as bad as a Wilhelm scream. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, but re- really quick, because obviously we've we've talked for a bit. I don't want to. You know, you guys I'm sure have lives and don't want to listen to us ramble forever. Uh, the prequel I want to discuss that most people hate, uh, but I found to be magnificent is Prometheus. Uh, Prometheus takes place in the Alien universe, directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, it's a very much a prequel in the sense that it's, in a sense, has nothing to do with the Xenomorphs and the kind of alien world we've come to know and love from the the four previous movies. And I think that is why people didn't like it as much as they could have because they went in expecting to see chestbursters and the eggs and the queen, uh, and it had nothing to do with that. In fact, if they, you know, working on Prometheus two we probably won't even get anything like that until if, if the series lasts that long, possibly the third movie. Uh, but what I loved about it was, you know, the engineers came to, you know, they chose them, they come to Earth, they basically create life on Earth. So the whole reason why we're here, evolution, um, everything, religion even, you know, that's they were the original gods who came here, and, you know, we're not here to discuss religion, but, you know, God created the Earth in seven days, maybe the engineers created the Earth in seven billion years, whatever, <laughs> And when they go to this planet and they they go and look around things and they're talking, you know, about the murals they find and the space jockeys and everything else, uh, there's so much philosophy and really deep meaning there. Uh, everything from, like, like I mentioned before, religion on Earth to who Jesus really was or might have been to why we have war. And I think everyone went in hoping to see a monster movie and weren't expecting a deep philosophical take on the human condition. And, and of course, yeah, there's some blow stuff blown up and big ships, you know, fighting and stuff. And at the end, we do kind of see a precursor to the Xenomorph we know and love. 
but I walked out of that movie. I normally I sit and discuss with my husband Eddie about oh we what I think, what about this. We drove home in complete silence, and I didn't. I just went and sat in the garage for like an hour, just kind of mulling over my head what I'd seen and what I'd experienced, and you know, in the end, came out that it was it was a masterpiece of a movie. It was shot very well. Uh, yeah, there was some corny dialogue, and it, some things didn't really make sense when they're like, "Oh, we're a half a billion miles from Earth." Well, let's you're a Jupiter. Good, good for you. Uh, but I loved it. I think it's a movie that people write off because they were studying something different. And if you go into it with the right mindset of what you're going to get, I think you'll enjoy it a lot more. And I just love the acting in that movie. Idris Elba, that guy could read the phone book. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, it's awesome. And, and again, well, Fassbender. Like we yeah, yeah, uh, the common denominator between both of our movies. And I, I actually think this might be my favorite Fassbender performance is in Prometheus is David because mm-hmm. he is so interesting and the the choices that he's making. I didn't love this movie as much as you did. Um, I felt confused by it more than anything else, but it made me think about it and it makes me continue to think about it. It's like it's like the um the the double mint gum uh thing oh, from inside, inside out. out that they just <laughs> my my brain keeps like making it's like hey remember that thing in prometheus like you should think about that again and it happens all the time like that is a very thinky movie and i am i'm blown away by how intricate it was and yeah i think people didn't like it because it wasn't james cameron's aliens yeah, and or uh, David Fincher's Alien Three, <clears throat> or did he do Resurrection? I forget. No, yeah, he did. He he did. Oh, and then Joss Whedon wrote. Yeah, Joss Whedon worked on the script for Resurrection. So, yeah. Um, anyways, that'll take us to the end for today uh, for Board as Hell. Uh, make sure you also check out BigShinyRobot.com. There's been a huge number of leaked trailers from Comic Con. We've got Deadpool. We've got Batman vs Superman. Uh, if you're into the TVs, we got uh, a new season of Walking Dead. So please go check it out. There's a ton of really cool stuff there. Uh, Deadpool makes one of the greatest riffs on Utah you'll ever hear in your life. Uh, so definitely don't have the kids in the room when that one's playing. <laughs> and and I've also got tickets to Southpaw uh, next Monday in Austin. If you go and find those on um, on Big Shiny Robot, we've got so uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, Rachel McAdams in. Uh, Antoine Fuqua's new boxing movie. And Jake so. Hall got jacked for that movie. Yeah, he did. So, so. We, we saw him on Grant Norton a couple weeks ago, and he was he was ripped. So, you so if you're if you're here in Austin, please show up to the theater with me. Um, I love me a good boxing movie, and uh, so come come check this out with me. And also keep an eye on Big Shiny Robot uh, starting Monday. We will actually have. 10 pairs, so a total of 20 tickets of reserved seating. So this is the cool VIP stuff where you just get to walk in and sit down. You don't have to get in line, don't have to redeem passes. Uh, so 10 reserved pairs of tickets for Pixels a week from Monday. Uh, whether or not you're excited for that, that's up to you, but at least you could say you saw it for free and you didn't have to wait in line. So This is a movie that I would want to see for free because I'm so worried about whether it's going to be good or not. I was I was 100% down with it, and I know we'll talk about it later on, until I saw the two names of Adam Sandler and Kevin James. And I was like, ah, crap. Exactly. So hopefully they're just there as the acting. They had no, if they had no creative input whatsoever, it could turn out well. I'm just worried that he uh, 
Adam Sandler convinced him to take him on vacation somewhere again. So, and and I I think I'm hoping that Peter Dinklage can overcome the black hole of those two. So. Oh yeah, if if anyone can, it's him. Yep. All right. Well, like I said, that's going to take it up for us. Uh, make sure you check us out at boardishellcast.com on Facebook at facebook.com slash boardishellpodcast and on Twitter at boardishellcast. We'll be back next week. Uh, actually, a pretty big week for movies. Uh, Ant-Man, of course, is the huge one. I kind of thought everything was going to uh, run from huge. it. Huge. <laughs> but, um, uh, but because no one demanded it, we also have Joker 2, uh, the new Amy Schumer comedy with Bill Hader, Trainwreck, and the one I'm actually excited for is Mr. Holmes. It's Ian McKellen playing an old Sherlock Holmes, solving the one mystery you could never uh, figure out. So that'll be next week. But until then, have a great week, and we'll talk to you later. Andy, go ahead and take us out. No! Hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon! Punk ass tripping, but it's alright. Homie scored a key, he's gonna fly.